You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down in person with an incredible person that has followed the show for quite some time and I kept her, put that little bit in my bonnet and I am so excited to sit down with her today. She is restoring her mid-century home, teaching Shoshone language in Fort Hall and a soon-to-be full-time grad student. Welcome to the show, Bailey Dan. Thank you. It's such an honor to be asked to be a part of this show. Zanguita the Bayi, Nanani Ha Bailey Dan, Na Botor Night, Des Na Nadena, but Jose Ananihan, Des Na Dakavi, Hananihan, Na Sadatsi, Sokani Hanak. Um, so, my name is Bailey. I'm from Fort Hall, and I currently live in Blackfoot with my husband, Jose, and our little dog, uh, Dakavi. Um, he's half corgi, half blue healer. He's amazing. Aww. He's like my little, he's my little babe. And I love anything and everything mid-century. Um, and I am he- sitting here today with you folks. I'm super excited. That and was amazing. That was incredible. Thank you for doing that right off the top. I know. (laughs) I know. I love that. And I I am certain that I said Shoshone incorrectly. No, no. You you said it fine. Shoshone. Okay, okay, okay. I I say Shoshone. Some people say Shoshone. Um, It's it's really, it's kind of a a made up word, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of, you know, however you want to say it. Some people say that Shoshone refers to the people and Shoshone refers to the culture and language. Okay. But it really just depends on, you know, individuals and how they want to say it. So, Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit because I really want to dive into that with you. Mm-hmm. But I first want to say thank you for coming to a stranger's basement to record <laughs> yeah, a podcast. I love, <laughs> I love stranger's basements. That's, <laughs> you know, that's the first thing whenever I go to an estate sale. Um, that's the first place I go is basements. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, uh, yeah, I'm learning that I need to go to the basement first. Mm-hmm. Jill goes to the kitchen. I do a quick sweep of the kitchen and then I've been trying to either go downstairs to the basement or out to the shed <gasps> in the backyard. Oh. That's new. Yeah. I also like bedrooms, bedroom closets, mm. because you never know what's lurking in the corners up high. You just, you just never know. Mm-hmm. A good one too. Mm-hmm. I need like three of me every time I go to an estate. Well, you're training them. Well, I'm trying. My husband came with me to an estate sale this last week, and he's horrible. <laughs> I love you to death, dear, but he's a browser. Oh, <laughs> so meander. He's like, you're like a buzzy little bee, just back and forth, front and back. And I'm like, you've got to. You have to. You have to do your quick sweep first. Yes. Your quick sweep. Grab the grab your shining things mm-hmm. that you just know you mm-hmm. need, and you you make your pile, and then you. Do a slow sweep, you know, yes. you, you, you look at multiple, um, you go through multiple rooms and um, it's it's really tough to find things that, um, or it's really, well, 
I guess I have a bit of a different perspective because I actually work estate sales uh, with uh, Linda Davies. Shut up. I did not know that you were an in. Okay. Really? We have so many Wait questions. Oh my gosh. Do you do the cash? cash yes, I'm the cashier. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Like, I kept saying, I'm like, I'm. I know. I'm like, I've seen her. Oh my gosh. So I kind of have, I kind of have my own particular way of how I do estate sales. Um, and I've, I have the best trainer. Yeah. We're throwing the whole interview out and we're going to (laughs) start here. But she is amazing. She is. We can refer to her now because of the show as our antique fairy godmother, Mm -hmm. because she is one of the nicest people I've ever met ever, ever. Mm -hmm. So kind, so generous, so thoughtful, and quick as a whip and hilarious. Mm-hmm. That ex- that de- exactly describes Linda. I also love Bud. Bud is great. I know. <laughs> I know. Every time he's need you need help with that, I'm always like, Bud, no. Mm-hmm. You, I feel like you should sit down for a minute, Bud. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> you know, that's my thing. I'm like, hiya, Bud. Have you been drinking water? <laughs> you know, that's the first thing. Good. I'm that glad I... somebody is keeping a tab mm-hmm. on Bud because I'm yeah, like I do. that one sale in Pocatello where it's like hot, hot, hot. I'm just and he's like walking around. I'm like, <laughs> Bud, you should go stand in the shade for at least ten minutes. At least go hydrate. Yeah, I'm sure he's pretty annoyed by by now. Whenever I ask, because that's my first. Have you been drinking enough water? Where's your water bottle? <laughs> do you need some water? <laughs> do you have sunscreen on, Bud? <laughs> Get over there. <laughs> have you been wearing a ventilator? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we have, so we obviously, so it's, we've told it several hundred fucking times on the show. But when I asked Jill to be my co-host, we were on our way to a wild hair sale in Pocatello. Right. And so it is like, it's just a cornerstone of the mm-hmm. show at this point. And we fantasize about working a sale oh my with gosh. Linda, like clearing our schedules <laughs> and going. So what can you walk us through that process of like, do you get there for setup? Yeah. So it, it really depends on the sale and the clients and um, Linda's schedule. So um, she first, I first started working with her when she posted that she needed some help. And you know, um, academic me was like, oh my gosh, I need to write a cover letter. I need to submit my resume. <laughs> you know, I, I, this, this is my dream. This is, I need, I need to work with Linda Davies mm-hmm. at Wild Hair Estate Sales. And so I, you know, I, I proofread my cover letter and I, my palms were sweaty and I submitted it. And, um, apparently I was the only one that did that, <laughs> you know, um, right. I guess, I guess that's, I don't know. You it, it was just meant to be, it. you yeah. know. And I it's been almost a year that I've worked with her and it's so it's so humbling, you know, to be able to walk into someone's house whether it be they're moving, they're, you know, they're changing lifestyles, they have passed on or, you know, there's there's a plethora of um reasons why someone would do an estate sale and a lot of folks they assume oh well they died that's Mm. not always the case and so um i just i just find it incredibly humbling to be able to set this person's life you know out on a table and price it yeah how do you do that and and so um whenever i'm asked to help uh linda uh, price items. That's always the first thing in my mind. How can I honor this person today? Wow. You know why? You know, um, it, it's it's such a it, it's a it's a matter of dignity for me. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I feel very blessed to be able to um, work in the spaces that I have. And um, sometimes there is just a lot of stuff and you, there's just not enough time to oogle at it, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, recently, let's see. So the last few estate sales that I, we've just been working every week, you know, usually the time frame is two weeks, but because uh, her schedule is so full, we've just been every week, there's a new house, you know, and, and, and so it's really put a, a, a time crunch wow. on, you know, on things, but, you know, we have it down to a science now, you know, we can go through and just boop, you know, everyone's life is organized and on tables and we know what's trash, what's not, you know, if we find special documents or photographs that the family might have missed, we set those aside for them. And um, it's it's pretty interesting. And uh, I really, I really enjoy it. So that's kind of my side gig, I, I guess. Um, and it has really saved me uh, personally, because over the last year, I mean, everyone has gone through struggles this this past year um but over the past year I I was diagnosed with a a severe chronic illness Mm. and I had to take a step back from the classroom because um over the last four years I have dedicated myself to my community and my students and learning the Shoshone language and teaching it and and I was just feeling so burnt out and Mm. then I I got this diagnosis um and it just just changed my life. And for a while, I was just feeling the self-loathing of, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, you, like, I used to be able to do this, and now I can't. Mm. And I've had to kind of change my mindset of can't to, well, we'll just do it a different way, you know? And um, Linda has come into my life, and I can't even, I can't even put together the words um, that she makes me feel like she is so special to me mm-hmm. and um, I I really look up to her um, you know she she definitely has a seat in my boardroom mm. of, of life <laughs> mm-hmm. influencers and um, I'm, I'm really grateful to have that outlet and um, support from her so yeah. that's that's really fun but um, a lot of folks assume that you know the folks who work with her get, you know, we get to the first dibs. Right. That is absolutely not the case. I have to wait in line with everyone else. And I really appreciate that, you yeah. know, because um, the way that Linda puts it is it, it's it's part of the business strategy. You know, uh, it's not fair if someone comes mm-hmm. all the way from Idaho Falls to Pocatello for that one item that she posted and it's not there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So... Anyways, I just, I love doing that. And um, that's a whole lot of ranting for you. But No, no. <laughs> thank you for going love into it. such yeah. detail. Yeah. We always wonder, you know, Jill and I, we go into an estate sale with that same frame of mind as this is somebody's entire life mm-hmm. and all of their memories. And uh, like just, there's so much energy packed into a house that's mm-hmm. being cleared out, mm-hmm. right? And I... I know when I go to Linda's sale that everything has been thought of in the way that it should be thought of and priced the way it should mm-hmm. be priced. Like we do not second guess Linda's prices mm-hmm. at all. Cause she's so fair, mm-hmm. so fair. Yeah. And because of the way she takes them so seriously, and I'm so, 
honor to know that you're also a part of that. It makes so much sense. Just who you are as a person and like mm-hmm. how you feel as a person. It's just, it makes perfect sense that you're a part of her team. Perfect I, sense. Yeah, I love it. I love that you go through and like, cause I have also found some important documents in an estate sale that was put on by a family here in town that like they didn't set up. It was literally boxes in rooms and just nothing. And I found <laughs> the original title to the house. Wow. In the closet. Along oh. with like, there was so much other like bills and personal stuff. But the family just wanted, I'm assuming it was the family. just And the house was untouched for like 30 years. But I always, when I run across a house that has a bunch of stuff in it, I always refer them to Linda. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Just to be like, please don't let people take advantage of you. I know. Well, and that's the other thing that I love about Linda. She doesn't take advantage of anybody. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell she's taking like immaculate care of all these items and making sure that they go to good homes. Like mm-hmm. like Sam said, I never second guess her prices. I'm just like, all right, yep. Mm-hmm. And I just hurry and grab everything because I feel like there's always 10 people behind me coming for mm-hmm. that same item. <laughs> right. If you see it once, you got to grab it. It's not going to be there on your second pass. Also, so cool that she doesn't allow you guys to pick the sale before. Because mm-hmm. I've wondered about that. Yeah. Oh, no. that's a It's a very stringent rule that, you know, we wait in line with everyone else. Mm. And I at first I was like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, I realized, hey, you know, if it's meant to be, It'll. I'll get that item, and if it's not meant to be, there's so many other things, you know. And um, if that thing is going to a great home, fine. Um, the th- one thing that bothers me particularly about um, pickers, the picker mm. world, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the the vintage community is um, there's often, you know, very uh, there's a kind of a toxic masculinity. Um, with certain pickers and you know they they think that they they matter the most Mm -hmm. and so they get pushy and they can get physical and you know they they can get rough and you know that's kind of I I don't I don't like that you know we've talked about that numerous times on the show there's a particular person that comes to mind instantly for me and there have been times that I have been looking through something and he will muscle himself mm-hmm. in and push me out of the way. Mm-hmm. And a part of me, because like I can be very hot headed mm-hmm. and very quick. And then I'm also like, if I'm at Linda's sales, I will not cause a scene because it's <laughs> not, it's a disservice mm-hmm. to Linda. But this person is at the top of my list of like, the reason that we do what we do and like trying to operate in a way that's like not gatekeeping, mm-hmm. not expecting anybody to know anything about vintage and to, we believe the same thing of like, if you find something at a sale that nobody's picked up and you're like, Oh shit, how did nobody find mm-hmm. this? It's cause it was supposed to find you. Like right. there's, yeah. don't go to a sale expecting. Well, no. and, and that's just like a very frustrating aspect because um, this one person in mind that I've had experience with, he says, well, I'm trying to feed my family. And I think to myself, if you're that desperate to feed your family, maybe mm-hmm. you should find, you know, something else. Right. Um, and because some of these folks, they have such disregard for these items. You know, they all they see is dollar signs. Yep. And, you know, they see a Brasilia piece and they're like, oh, a thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, no one else needs those things. Right. Um, and it's just, uh, that's really frustrating t- to me. Because to me, uh, the vintage community is is about repurposing, reusing, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- having a story to tell in your house. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you can't afford like new things. No. You know, and so then yeah. 
these folks kind of take the joy out of that. But I try really hard to focus on the positives. And I have met so many amazing people, you know, even just being their cashier. And they tell me, you know, what that item is is going to be in their life or, you know, it's going to be a gift for someone. And um, all these little stories that I collect, I just think, wow, I'm so thankful that I I get to be a keeper of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, it is, it's a thing of like, as I've started to resell more vintage, I'm really cognizant of that mindset. Right. And, and I, so I have a little side business. I call it Nettie Lee's so um, Vintage Clothier and Home Goods. And um, I, whenever I price an item or I sell something, you know, I, I'm not trying to get top dollar for it, but I, I want it to go to a good home. I recognize, hey, I bet someone would really love this avocado green bathroom shelf dealy mm-hmm. you know um that most people would be like what but i know that someone in the world would probably appreciate that and so i would price it accordingly mm-hmm. and i like to price fair and i find a lot of vintage clothing that i just know um would be going uh you know to the the di or the youth ranch so i i take it uh and then I price it accordingly. And, and that, you know, that helps me buy clothes that fit me mm-hmm. because I, I certainly can't fit into a, a 12 inch waist, but someone might right. and awesome for them. And then that means I, you know, I, I get um, things that could fit me. So, which I love. Yeah. yeah. It's all, it's, yeah. we call it vintage foster care. Oh, I you know, that. you yeah. have something in your collection for, and there's been times like we've interviewed somebody and I'm like, I have, there's this, piece of vintage screaming mm-hmm. at me from other part of my house let's bring it down and do that because that's I, yeah everything has its own home and its own space and it's gonna let For you sure. know kind of where it has to go mm-hmm. and like everything mostly in the basement is either thrifted or gifted mm-hmm. or like a state sale or something like that there's very few things that i've paid full price for oh that's my entire house good and closet <laughs> <laughs> to the chagrin of my husband you know Same. um Same. yeah we know that gallery wall on the stairs we did today <laughs> and i was like um so i've been buying these frames <laughs> and i was like it's either you oh, get on no. the ladder or me yes <laughs> i know this story very well yeah. you know mm-hmm. as soon as he sees a hammer in my hand he's like okay what do you want <laughs> you know <laughs> let me do it uh-huh. because you know it often it often goes that i try to do something myself because i'm stubborn and i think i can do it and that's not always the case and so then he has to come and you know it's more work for him because he has to take it down and then redo it and <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh-huh. so we've mm-hmm. we've kind of figured i i've learned how to ask for help which is like this new thing that i'm yes. trying out like asking so for help really hard <laughs> what that's such a concept yeah i know and it's like you forget that you have all these people in your group that are there to help and they'll say yes every mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and it's like yeah it's one of the hardest things i think for everybody to ask for help it was a hard lesson to learn in the making of this show yeah oh, I, I am neurotic by nature i think it just comes from my childhood and different things like that and i was the youngest for a very long time of just being like okay i i will take on all the tests and i'm like i'm a mom i work run the show and do all these things and it was i was just trying to do everything and then i finally was like jill can you do this and she was like duh (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know that's where like spell check came into the picture and gray and those types of things because if it would have been up to me i would have been doing it all 
And I mm-hmm. would have been so unhappy. It's yeah. so nice now to just have like the show portion. And then I upload all the stuff on the back end. But it's nice to just, I have so many people on my mm-hmm. team that I can trust so much that it makes my life so much easier. <laughs> and I, if you would have told me that like a year and a half ago that I would have done that, I would have been like, yeah, not a chance. <laughs> it's the same reason. Like I would love to have an assistant at work. Yeah. But could never. Yeah. Could never have somebody else be like doing a hair color or washing or blow drying. Or I would just be like looking like not paying attention to what I'm doing. Be like, that's not how I do it. I actually brush this way. You're going <laughs> the opposite of what I do. Oh dear. <laughs> Which let's, let's talk a little bit about childhood. Let's back up a little bit yeah. to where your collecting started. What was your kind of origins in the world of vintage? Yeah, that is, that is a great question. Um, I think I've always, I've always had an in to the vintage community because I was raised by my grandparents. And so, and I spent a lot of time with my maternal and paternal grandparents and great grandparents. And um, so I was always around things that maybe weren't of that era, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm like this nineties baby. Right. But I was raised by um, a generation, two generations older than me. So, you know, I, I, I learned from a very early age that it was important to listen and to, um, I guess, capture these stories that were told to me. And um, I was, I've always had a, um, a fascination with old things, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be like a hair dryer in a box. I have four of them. Sorry. <laughs> Don't look behind me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would I would be like, hey, Grandma, you know, what's this? And she'd be like, oh, that's an old egg whisker. I'm like, well, can we get in? No, absolutely not. You know, she was, um, my maternal grandma was very, like, she she wanted modern. She didn't she didn't like tchotchkes. That was you know tchotchkes were no. <laughs> okay. And and then I was a tchotchke girl. You know I carried rocks in my pocket. Um, I picked up random things, and so she her and I would butt heads a little bit because I would see an antique store or I would want to go to the Trackside Mall, mm-hmm. which is a great antique mall here in Idaho Falls. You almost need a lunch halfway through. Yeah, I it's know. So <laughs> big. You have to like pack your own lunch because yeah. you can get, get lost. Camel back. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, I mean it is it is a day. Um and so she would be like, No. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, um but I've always just kind of had an old fashioned aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, my prom dress was like a nineteen twenties like esque dress. You know, it it was just um that's just how I've always been. And I love the energy and stories that come from items. Mm-hmm. You know, um so recently I I found um a Woolworth sign oh. um with the Lucite letters. Oh my you know, gosh. it used to be I think it was part part of like a light, like a light box. Oh yeah. Um but it was it's pink. It's light pink. And um, the Lucite letters, I plan to have like ribbon light attached to the back of it so it'll like shine out. And I hung it above my closet because my closet, when you open it, it's like, is this a department store? You know? <laughs> I have all of my like 30s, 40s, and 50s hats, oh like all God. in rows. Uh. And, you know, everything is color coordinated. And I have, you know, um, I love mid-century homes because they have the greatest built-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, I luckily have um, built-in shelves for my shoes. Oh, 
Um, so I, everything is just laid out in a in a beautiful way. Wow. And um, so I hope that I can turn on that Woolworths sign someday. And, you know, it's like my own private oasis. Oh I love gosh, that. That's, um, so, that's such a cute idea. It's so <laughs> cute. I'm like, okay. Put it on the but top of your yeah, list. You got, now you got to find one. Now mm-hmm. I got to find one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just hanging out in this garage all dusty. And so I, I took it home and I shined her up. And she's beautiful. And I grew up with these stories of Woolworths and five and dime stores. And, you know, at Christmas time, how they would wrap the, the um, banters of the stairways with um, real pine bows. Wow. And, you know, that's when that you could they would have like these beautiful Christmas displays and um, just that story, those stories that my grandma would tell me and my great grandma would tell me, they just, you know, that's kind of, that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my grandma in 2019 um, to cancer. Oh, um, so F sorry. cancer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, cancer is just, Do you want me to say uh, it for you? Fuck cancer. Uh, cancer is just the worst. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, going through my journey of grief and loss has really taught me like what's important. Mm-hmm. And to me, I want to live a beautiful life and, and not just, you know, per like, not just my personality. I, you know, I, I love being, a I love trying to be a good person. Like that's, mm-hmm. I love doing that. Um, but I also want my life to be functional and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that look like? You know? Yeah. And, um, I, my husband and I bought a house that was built in 1956, um, by, uh, a local builder and he, his, he built his wife, uh, their home next door and she still lives there. Oh, and she was, uh, a local English teacher, like a very well-known English teacher. Oh. And then her son was my English teacher. Oh my God. <laughs> like how? Um, Blackfoot is a very small town. Uh-huh. Can I just say? I'm from Shelly um, originally, so yeah. I I get it. It's just it. like these little uh-huh. connections and circles that just are just amazing. But, um, anyways, our house is it looks like a like a spaceship house. It's very mid century. It has like the the sloping um, oh. roof line and the carport with the planters. Like, yeah, it's it's beautiful, and you know it, it's had some mishappen remodel remodels over the years mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just kind of like why did you do that um <laughs> it's like my fireplace upstairs gosh. it doesn't make any sense with the architecture of the house yeah my house was built in 53 uh-huh like in this space it was probably finished in the late 50s but the my fucking fireplace is river rock with like a huge <laughs> wood beam yeah it's that makes yeah zero sense yeah for my house it's very there yeah. <laughs> and now with that, fe- I've bought a pheasant at the DI and hanging up there. My upstairs are currently just looks lodgy. <laughs> just like that mountain sheet. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, was, it was okay until you put the pheasant there. And then mm-hmm. it was like, oh, we're up in Yellowstone. Wow. I am. Get your mouse gown mule. Put your boots on. We're going to go herd some bison. Um, so I think um, I've always longed to have a place of my own. Mm-hmm. And uh f- feeling safe has always been one of my priorities um because i i didn't i didn't always have an idyllic childhood um i had a very rocky traumatic childhood mm-hmm. actually um and uh that was part of the reason why i went to live with my grandparents and from there on you know that was my safe haven and you know i oh my goodness i had a pony 
for goodness sakes, you know, <laughs> like they, they were a very Western cowboy family. Um, and well, we're an Indian cowboy family is what we are. Right. Um, <laughs> the original. The original, yeah. the OG, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had a great childhood, but I also had a terrible childhood. I think, I, I don't know, maybe everyone has had that. Yeah, I, w- I could agree with that. I yeah. think I think a, a lot of the reason, and this is pure speculation on my part, I think a lot of the reason that like people with traumatic childhoods relish in the past mm-hmm. is because it looks idyllic versus mm-hmm. what you grew up with. Exactly. And especially from the sounds of it, I mean, being raised by your grandparents, mm-hmm. like that's, even if they loved you so, so very much, which I'm sure they did, mm-hmm. there is still that trauma of not being raised by your parents right. in your home. And that's my house is my safe space, too. Mm-hmm. It is my area to fully let everything exactly. be the way that I want it to be. And I don't give a shit if you like it and or And you not. have a control over everything. Yes. And so I think in restoring my home... I, you know, and it was built in 56. So I thought, okay, well, I'm all in, (laughs) (laughs) I guess uh, I'm all in. So I I got my, I have my fifties wardrobe. I have, you know, I have cookbooks that I try recipes from, uh, you know, like, and uh, I do not recommend trying the world war two brownies because, uh, rationing. Yeah. The rationing. I did not think about that, um, until I tried it. Uh, try to bite and I was like what is this it's gonna have one replacement (laughs) probably for butter and sugar Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yikes on bikes yeah that's like the two yeah that was so disappointing so Mm. I kind of stay away from that cookbook um but ultimately having my own space and and bringing it to life has also brought me to life you know it's it's helped me um figure out who I want to be Mm. And what kind of life I want to live. And um, I, I like to turn things on their head, you know. So it's like I'm this indigenous woman, like in a small, mostly white town. Um, and a lot of their ideologies are literally stuck in the 50s. Yeah. But I, I have a very completely different viewpoint and um, set of ideologies. And, and so I love looking like a 1950s housewife. Mm-hmm. But then if you really get to know me and my husband and, and the work that I do, it's like, wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's intense. You know, <laughs> like they, they see me and they're like, oh, wow. And then I'm like, hey, I don't, I, I love these shiny brights, but can I please take the pictures of white Jesus uh, <laughs> ornaments out <laughs> off of it off. Like yeah. I'm, I'm just not a fan. And you know, and th- so I, and that, that literally happened last weekend. I was at a yard sale and, um, shiny brights, you know, oh, and it, it's oh, like yeah. the, it's the, I don't had oh, the I Devo cup. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. They're tapered yeah. and concentric yeah. uh-huh. kind of shapes yeah. that taper down. And they were pink and turquoise and I oh. love them. And, um, I have an aluminum Christmas tree. God bless it. You have to. You just, yeah. you gotta. And <laughs> looking for one for the basement, if anybody has one. <laughs> no, that's also on my, my list. My vintage Christmas ornaments cannot go upstairs yet because of my toddler. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I'd be yeah. devastated. Well, um, so I, I picked up this box and I saw, you know, uh, they had like little ornaments with like the pictures of Jesus. And if that's, if that's your cup of tea, that's great. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I, I was picking them out and the, the gentleman said, oh, no, those are included. <laughs> and so I said, oh, no, thanks. I'm not a fan of white Jesus. Nice <laughs> <You know>? job. <laughs> and, and it's true. I, I'm not because, I, you know, I think that Jesus would, is an incredible uh, person with a lot of um, good ideas. Uh, but he certainly wasn't blonde and blue-eyed. No. Um, and to put it in a, a, a frame of reference for people that would possibly take offense to that, mm -hmm. they are totally okay to do that. This is the same yeah. expectation of asking a Muslim mm -hmm. to have Jesus in their house. Mm -hmm. Having a sheikh have Jesus in their house. Mm -hmm. like Because somebody could definitely be religious and spiritual without believing in your religion and spirituality. And there is right. absolutely no reason that indigenous people should have to believe in fucking white Jesus. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. It was not a part of their, your mm -hmm. history. And so when I, when I think about Christmas, I, I think about the magic that my grandparents mm -hmm. um, had and they made that a very magical thing. And so uh, that's, that's what is spiritual to me. Right. And um, so I love, I, I love challenging ideas mm -hmm. that are old. Um, I love challenging and pushing um, us into like a more accepting society. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you come to my house, you can be green, pink, yellow, uh, whatever, LGBTQ plus, mm -hmm. like, you know, I welcome you with open arms because... You know, that's, to me, that's Christ-like. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. And I, yeah, we that's that's yeah. where Jill and I align to, 155%. And we are of big supporters of love the vintage, not the vintage ideals mm -hmm. and the things that came from those era. Exactly. But you also have to be cognizant of that stuff. Like, I grew up here, right, mm -hmm. in Idaho, and my family never spoke about indigenous people mm -hmm. at all. And it wasn't until I was my own adult and doing my own research and understanding all of it, the work that I have to do as a white woman and being like, oh, fuck, this is messy. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, and it's all of those things of like, ignorance is definitely a choice. And lots of people choose to not have difficult conversations about things they hold as probably cornerstones of their upbringing to challenge their parents, their grandparents, their own heritage mm -hmm. and understanding a role it took not because of you, but it like, and realizing that shit mm -hmm. and then doing, so that's like what I'm trying to do better as a mom to my son is to teach him those things that I wasn't taught because of either ignorance or fear and teaching him things of, Asking questions and being understanding and realizing that we're not the only people. Right. And I, I think about, you know, um, my great-great-grandmother. She was the classiest woman. Her name was Leona Getty. And her husband, Roy Getty, founded the Painters Union in Pocatello oh, okay. um, in the 20s. And um, they also owned a sporting goods shop um, near the Chief Theater in downtown Pocatello. But they would go. They would go to breakfast, and she wouldn't be allowed in the restaurant. She would be kicked out because she was Bannock. Um, and on the sign, there would say, "No Indians or dogs allowed." And this was a prominent 
you know, my great-great-grandfather was a prominent businessman and he knew everyone and everyone knew him. Was your great-great-grandfather white? Mm -hmm. He was white. He was Irish, this big Irish man with big (laughs) hands. Um, And so I I think about that often, you know, that there were people back then that knew that racism, Mm -hmm. they experienced racism. They knew that racism was bad. They fought against it. They, you know, there was so much, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just that, you know, black and brown people just popped up 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> you right. know? And um, I think a lot of people think that um, they think to like the idealistic 1950s is like very white and it's not. Well, it's only chosen to be seen mm-hmm. as white. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's super interesting that the, how the different areas of the state are mm-hmm. because I'm originally from the Boise area and there's you know different cultures and all that we had um it was like like our own little hot pot like mm-hmm. we had every you know cultures right. and all that and I was a uh, I worked in a hospital there and I worked with like people from like Africa and like Spain and like we had interpreters for everybody so it was like no big deal and then I come mm-hmm. here and it's like oh Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay and it was it was really weird for us because people would ask me how it if it was hard for us to be an interracial couple because oh. my husband is white and I just would stare at them I'm like what are you talking about I am American like <laughs> yeah I don't know what we're talking like what are you saying uh-huh. and um yeah, and it was just, it was hard also because in this area, because the Hispanic culture is so, there's so many, and they just like kind of group everybody into that. And mm-hmm. I was automatically Hispanic when I got here. And I'm like, oh no, I'm Hawaiian Filipino. And they, they would like look at me and they're like, I've been to oh. Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. I have a cousin who's Hawaiian. Do you know and him? That yeah. happens to me often um, when I went to college in Iowa. Of all places. The other part of the place we're from. <laughs> I, yeah. People either think Iowa or Idaho. <laughs> exactly. Um, I went to a private liberal arts college in Iowa. And the ignorance, you know, uh, the most brilliant people I met mm. were there. But sometimes folks, you know, they'd find out I was native because I don't look native, you know, and I, I recognize that. Um, I have light skin, blue eyes, you know. But they would say, oh, so does your family live in a teepee? And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and yeah, and we eat sagebrush, and you know, that's uh, that's what we do. And I, I just sometimes I just get so frustrated, or they find out that I'm indigenous, and they say, I visited a reservation once. Oh, geez. it was awful. And it's just like, thank you, <laughs> you know. I, yeah. Like, how do I how how do I respond to that? Well, that's. Yeah. Well, I've been the to the suburbs before. That's freaking scary. <laughs> I, I know. We, well, and it was funny, too, because we, my <laughs> husband and my mother-in-law and I, we went down to Boise. We were going to a consignment store that my husband and I love going to. And so my husband and I get out and um, it, we get to the store and I turn around and I go to my husband. I'm like, where's your mom? And he's like, I, I thought she was behind us. He turns around and she's like still in the car. And we're like, what is she doing? <gasps> And then, so my husband goes and he's like, mom, what are you doing? And she's like clutching her purse. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? She's like, there's two Mexicans outside oh, the store. Oh no. And I'm like, yeah, 
there is. Let's go. I was like, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. It's like in the jungle, you know? <laughs> right. They're like, they're oh, more, white person white. incoming. Watch I out. I know. And that's what I always say. I was like, I would rather go to a group with like African-Americans and Hispanics and, you tattooed know, Asian, people. tattoo people. Yeah. LBGTQ than I would a group of white people. White women. Yes. Yeah. Like, I get asked more often than should be allowed where I learned such good English. Anybody says that when I'm with you and it's on site. On site. I'll lose my beauty license for you, Jill. Because <laughs> also, Kate, white people, shut the fuck up. Because we all look the same. Okay? Okay? Like, we all don't no just stop just stop and like learn open a book and also don't ask a person of color to teach you anything first of all no and we talked about this in like two episodes and ago also too. don't quiz me on my culture do you get that often oh, like yes. you'll get quizzed like oh so you are but do you know this this and this or and it's like, can, can you speak your so if you speak your language say yes. something to me you know it's like, yeah okay you know um and i'm like why would i why would i speak to you if you don't understand what I say. Mm -hmm. You know, like to me, that's rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all. Mm -hmm. And second of all, you know, um, I've learned a lot. Um, so I've been in a lot of polarizing positions, you know, um, an, an Indian in a, a mostly white school, um, a non-Mormon in, in a mm -hmm. sea of, of uh, Mormons um, or LDS folks. And, and you know, I've had to learn uh, how to remain myself mm -hmm. and and kind of you know so i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is just because you're white that doesn't make you a bad person right. i would never say that yeah i would i do not think that i do not think that um but there is a privilege that uh you carry mm -hmm. and i think it's really important to recognize that this is stolen land mm -hmm. i mean well, I, not to interrupt you, I had a really, I didn't even think of it because of my own familial ignorance. I have always talked with such pride about my family's homestead. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me. <laughs> and it was, I yeah. feel so stupid for that, for obviously. And you should, you should carry pride because homesteading is a lot of work. Well, and they came from Sweden, you know, mm -hmm. like they. And they had their struggles. And sometimes right. that place where they came from wasn't safe or wasn't sustainable. Right. And so they needed to find a new home. But what I'm saying is, um, you know, with these privileges and with this generational wealth and, and things that happen, um, and that doesn't mean, just because you're privileged, it doesn't mean that everything is great for you because I recognize that there's struggles. For Everyone sure. struggles. For you know, sure. there's poverty. Um, doesn't matter if you're, it doesn't matter what color you are. There's, there's struggles in life. Um, but I would like to ask for a bit of grace and for people to educate themselves on the land where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, you were talking about the Boise area for, um, and my, um, great, great grandmother's, uh, grandmother came from that area and her family was massacred wow. um, by soldiers in the Boise Valley area. And the only reason why she survived was because she was out picking berries and she came back and found her mutilated Jeez. parents' bodies and she had to bury them. And then she was forced to walk all the way to Fort Hall, which oh my God. I don't know how long that would take because it takes four hours from a car. Uh, from At least 15 days. 
Yeah. Fun. Well, she was she was forced to walk. Um and then she was bought by a Frenchman who then took her up to um a ranch that he had in Yellowstone area. And he was very mean and abusive. And I can't imagine that trauma, you know? No. Um, and she was 16. Jeez. So all I ask is for folks, you know, to take a step back and, and you know, look at your storyline and see where you come from and, you know, and wherever you are now, you, you can find ways to find out where what mm-hmm. land, whose land you're on, and maybe find find a, a community and, and give back. Maybe someone has a GoFundMe or, you know, there's a community event that you could um, donate to. I think that's um, that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there is there is a website um, that we could link. I can't remember sure. it right now yeah. that uh, you could find what... Uh, it's not perfect, but it's a, it's a what, stepping tr- point. What uh, tribes mm-hmm. inhabited the area mm-hmm. that you currently live. Yeah. I came across something like that several years ago online too to see kind of where, obviously there weren't like boundary boundaries, but it right. gives you a broad sense of where people were. And that's too, that to speak just briefly on the privilege thing, the white privilege thing. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you haven't, you didn't grow up poor, you didn't grow yeah. up on food stamps, you didn't grow no. up in foster care. Nobody takes Everyone a second has look their, at you. A unique story, right? Yeah. Everybody has trauma, mm-hmm. but trauma and privilege go hand in hand. Because also, I've never suffered anything because I'm white and a woman. Mm-hmm. I've got both. I have never walked into a store by myself and had anybody follow me. I have never. And I once I started getting heavily tattooed. Yes, people started paying more attention. But there's it's 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 so much more than when try not to be triggered by saying white privilege or having somebody say that to you Mm -hmm. because it's just simply the color of your skin and the, what that has afforded you and your family and the particular systems that were built with you in mind and not others. Right. Um, you know, I, I am not supposed to be here, but I am Mm -hmm. because we survived. Right. And, um, I carry a lot of privilege because, you know, I am able-bodied for the most part. Sometimes I'm not, but <laughs> I'm able-bodied for the most part. I uh, appear cis, you know. Mm-hmm. I um, uh, have light skin, blue eyes. I'm educated. You know, I carry a lot of these privileges, um, but I also like to utilize them to bring light to other issues. And uh-huh. um, when I was teaching, I would... I would have these lessons with students. I would teach them, you know, you matter, mm-hmm. you know, don't ever let anyone treat you differently because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your story and you need to be proud of who you are because we are the survivors. Mm-hmm. This is our post-apocalyptic world. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's okay to be yourself and, and, um, don't let anyone tell you differently. No. Um, and mm-hmm. so that was one of my biggest things as a teacher is, you know, is wielding my privilege to then open the gate for others. Mm-hmm. And I am continuing to do that. Um, and so although I had to take a step back from the classroom this year to kind of get my health back on track this fall, I plan on going, I'm going back to grad school um, in linguistic anthropology wow. to 
develop more language resources in Shoshone for my community. Um, I think that's really, that's my calling. And um, I just, in my life, there's these threads that have been woven together, you know, and everyone, everyone has these threads, um, you know, whether it be from trauma, their history, you know, like colonialism, like all of these things, they make us who we are. And um, it's not good or bad. It, it's just, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And you have to take those things and, and think, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Like, what, why am I on this planet? You know, and so for me, I I love telling stories. I love having a house that tells a story. And um, a big part of it is, hey, it's cheaper for the most part, depending on what you collect. (laughs) Um, And it's sustainable because you're reusing, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not buying brand new things that are taking away from the world. These are items that have been (laughs) here for generations and they're gonna stay here forever Mm -hmm. you know so I love I don't know I am a very random person with very uh particular interests and I often try to piece it together you know like well who am I Mm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. why why am I the way that I am and um sometimes you just have to just say well that's I don't know. I'm just rambling now. No, no, no. I'll I, that out. But first of all, I want to <laughs> no. say thank you for being so candid about your yeah. story and sharing all of that and having that discussion yeah. with us. I really appreciate I, that. I totally did not intend to go. <laughs> this is how all way. our interviews this is how it go. And this is what we want. We yeah. want the story, the real stories. Mm-hmm. We don't want those like automatic answers mm-hmm. like I collect yes, this. I am this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and humanity is really messy. And so, mm-hmm. and we're collectors. I think we're, we're, we've always been collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the items that I have in my collections are proof of that. I have things that are over, oh gosh, over 150 years old. Wow. Um, I have, for example, I have a, a buckskin saddle that was made by my fourth great grandmother. Wow. Um, in the late 1800s. Wow. Um, and you know, and her daughter owned um, an Indian art store in Blackfoot. Like she was, she was ahead of her time. She was an entrepreneur, um, and on the weekends she would clean bars, um, and she would take my grandma with her and. Um, they would scrape up the change from the bottom of the the bar floor wow. and then they'd go get a cherry coke you know at, at the soda <laughs> yeah. fountain and i think about those stories of my ancestors and and i have photographs um luckily i have a lot of photographs and i think you know their stories need to be cherished and told and and that's part of collecting is is Part of collecting and, and curating is, is that's what it is, is it, you're curating something special. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that you could just find on a Walmart shelf. And if that's you, awesome, you can do that. But for me, I like to be unique. I like to tell stories and 
collecting and, and showcasing is how I do it. Mm-hmm. And that's you're part in the of, best company. And that's yeah. part of the beautiful yeah. life that I want. Yeah. You know, I want someone to come in and say, wow. And they have, they come in and they're like, how old are you again? <laughs> you know, because they come in and, and they see, well, a six-year-old has to live here. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'm 26, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, I get I get the same thing too. People come into my house and they're like, what? <laughs> and that's, I've collected since I was little. I started with my grandma too. And so, and it's, I mean, you've been through the house, everything. It's varied. Mm-hmm. It's from the 1800s to the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. I'm drawn to the energy of a piece and the story and then, fantasizing about it before it came to me like were you an anniversary present were you a birthday gift Mm. did somebody buy you the same way i'm buying you where's that and then it's the the familial stuff too my grandfather was an excellent storyteller and he was i was so close to him and when he died it was absolutely devastating and he told me about a year before he died he goes you always ask about our history and you always ask about all these things and weird questions nobody else is going to ask. He goes, I want you to be like the historian. I want you to remember these things. And that's that's my love for this show was, I'm like, I want to hear other people's mm-hmm. stuff and why they do what they do because I just am so curious by nature. Right. I just want to know everybody's. And now when I'm at the States, I'm like, what did they do? <laughs> and I start asking people all these questions about stuff. Because it's never just stuff. And I think um, part of that, you know, uh, you can tell a lot about a person's life by just, you know, by what's in their house. But Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do is look at their bookshelves. Mm. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by the art that they collect Mm -hmm. and the books that they have read or collect. And, you know, sometimes you can see, oh, this person was really sick because you see all these you know, like the homeopathic guide to getting healthy again and, mm-hmm. and things. And you're just like, oh, gosh, you know. Um, and then or you see like the the feminine mystique by uh, Betty Friedan. <laughs> and you're just like, I, I wish I could have met this uh-huh. person. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so I just I love, you know, the the all the the various ways of being. I'm obsessed with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with getting to know people through their things. Yeah, it's that common thread of humanity mm-hmm. that you realize when you're exposed to vintage, right? You and you just it's just mm-hmm. like that. You walk through whatever it is, a house, a sale, whatever. You walk through and you see the progression. Mm-hmm. You know, you see stuff they got as teenagers and then marriage and then retirement and then the things that they kept when they were like when their babies were babies. Yes. Yes. Locks of hair, teeth, mm-hmm. all of those things that tell their story. Yeah. It's that beautiful. We get so lost in the rat race. Right. Mm-hmm. And last year was a great big emergency exit for everybody. Right. To realign the stuff in their life that had substance Mm -hmm. and i think listening became a thing again realizing the world is bigger than your lane Mm -hmm. and seeing how other swimmers are affected by the current right right and seeing how everything goes and i i hope that more people realize to like look up and see right people just people just people living their lives Mm -hmm. and um a part of it too is seeing what maybe 
some of my family didn't get to experience, Yeah, you know, and seeing, seeing a different side of life that, you know, wasn't on the reservation that wasn't in a tiny one room cabin, mm. um, that these folks, wow, they, they got to collect glass that they didn't use. Like, you know, there's, right. there's things that just kind of boggle my mind that I think, wow, what a world, um, and and I am privileged that I get to see that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, commend you on learning the language and then mm-hmm. doing that. And we would love, when you get done with grad school and you're working on distribution and any of those things, we would love to have an opportunity to help you with that and contribute in any oh, way sure. we can. Yeah. We would absolutely love to do that because, and then I always wonder too, when I come across some things at estate sales that shouldn't be mm-hmm. for sale. I will swoop them up if they are any type of indigenous related mm-hmm. and they will just go straight to you. If they are a That'd be great. You know, outside I, I of a ceramic statue. I often do the same thing. Um there you know, there might be um baby moccasins. Mm-hmm. Um there was one instance where a woman had a collection of I I didn't get a chance to get these things, but someone I saw had bragged on, you know, the vintage page, like the big vintage pages on social media, uh, that she had a, a bag of, uh, shells and, um, uh, baby moccasins from a massacre site in Southern Idaho. Oh my God. Um, I just had to tell goosebumps and I was just, I, I don't even have the words why i why would there you is that? a world of oddities right mm-hmm. but when it comes to any type of artifact of victims mm-hmm. it does not belong in a personal collection with a person that was not affected by it and that there are no words for that because that is the heaviest thing i've ever heard it's breaking me cry how could you showboat that how and and the same goes through like for museums you know when you go into a museum mm-hmm. we don't people don't question well where did you get this from yeah. you know, well it's a museum so they must have gotten it in a via you know a great the way right or, you know like yeah. they're experts they should know but oftentimes those are victims clothes and and those are real bones of our ancestors that are on display mm-hmm. and who else who does that right you don't see that at, you know, um, you, it's, well, and, it's frustrating because you don't see. The, you don't see you my don't see ancestors that. stuff no. in a museum. You don't. No. You don't. And we're, we're finding. And so what makes it okay? Right. It does not. <laughs> well, and we're finding out too, uh, the dark history of North America even more mm-hmm. over the last year and the devastating atrocious things at the Catholic church mm-hmm. and with residential schools. Yes. 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 Absolutely devastating reparations and everything needs to be mm-hmm. done with that. We owe a gigantic and the deepest apologies to our indigenous neighbors because of the atrocities that our ancestors caused in this land mm-hmm. for the simple and the same reason that these items are still being sold and put in museums is because money talks. Mm-hmm. That is the only reason. Cause if the, if it was, if the shoe was on the other foot, there wouldn't be a wait to search every residential school. And, uh, 
many of my grandmothers uh, went to boarding school at Carlisle in Pennsylvania and in California as well. And it's so heart-wrenching to me to think, wow, I, I, I get to be here because they survived, mm-hmm. because they because they learned to iron sheets and they learned to fold towels a specific way and they learned how to cook and sew and wear white folks clothing. Right. You know? And so I guess it's, it's, it's complicated being an indigenous person in a modern world. It's so complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, My one thing that I'm grateful for though is Awareness. There is an awareness that's coming out. And with the Museum of Idaho, I'm so grateful to them that they have worked directly with um, our tribes, the Shoshone-Bannock tribes, to curate collections made by our people, for our people, in our language. And I got to be a part of that. I was selected. uh, I was commissioned uh, to design a wall um, that is the backdrop of this mammoth that they have for their new way out West exhibit. It's a new permanent exhibit that they just released. And um, I was able to design a wall that depicts an ancient Shoshone legend. Um, And I am so grateful to folks like that who say, Hey, you know, there's indigenous folks that are still around. How about, you know, we, we Mm -hmm. bring them into the conversation and bring them to the table and say, all right, how would you want your story to be told? I love that. Mm -hmm. And I wish, and it is my hope that um, museums and institutions continue this difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no matter what community you're part of, whether it be the vintage community, the, you know, whatever community, Mm -hmm. um, it is my hope that we can have difficult conversations and, you know, kind of move past uh, like taking offense. I yeah. suppose. Yeah. And, and, you know, just saying, okay, well this, that's, you know, this is our reality and, and how can we move forward? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately we're all here together. We're all burning up <laughs> on this planet <laughs> here together. Yeah. Uh, collecting our stuff. And, you know, we all deserve a chance to tell our story the way we want to tell it. And um, I'll always be grateful to those who lend an ear. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I, you know, we didn't expect it to go this way, but I'm so, so happy that we've had this conversation. Thank mm-hmm. you from the bottom of my heart for being so open and candid and sharing. Same with you, Jill. Thank you for sharing your stories on the show and your experiences living in this area. It is, it's, it's humbling. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And for the, just to turn things back around a little bit, it's time <laughs> We're going to get ready to move into the estate sale walk really quick. But Bailey, I want you to share, where can our listeners find you? We will, of course, um, after the, you can look up that link after and we will put that up and we'll say it in the curio corner. Um, Whatever links you want us to throw up on your website, we will for sure do that for you. Where can our listeners find you? So you can find me on Instagram at Bailey Dan. You can find me on my website at www.baileydan.com. Uh, I often post um, art, my art for sale there. I'm currently working on uh, restoring quilts, uh, oh. like vintage quilts, uh, so that they could be used used again. I love that. And I um, repair them using vintage fabric. Oh, 
Um, and, you know, something that lasts generations will last forever. And so um, if you're ever looking for something special and rare, I, I highly recommend reaching out to me and we can work something out. Um, yeah, you can find me all kinds of places, but I definitely recommend Instagram and my website. Yes, and we will for sure have both of those linked on our website, themouthballprophecies.com. And we'll also tag you in your post on Instagram yes. as well as your vintage store for reselling. Oh, yes. um, yeah, I am so excited for our listeners to hear your story and to hear more about our area, mm-hmm. you know. But I love writing a local estate sale because I get to put it at Linda's. But I also didn't know before this that you worked for Linda. So this is even oh, here we better. Go. Okay. So for those of you that are new to the show, every week we do an estate sale walkthrough. It is completely manufactured, made up, a sale. The items are very real. They do exist in real life. I generally find them when I write the show up. And the only catch is there's a scenario that will happen, generally three. And in each scenario, you have a choice to make between a couple of different items. And they are usually after the uh, guests' favorite things. So, but as the show progresses and people listen, they're getting wiser in their questionnaire and really (laughs) narrowing it down. So I'm not going to reveal all my industry secrets with it. So today, of course, we're headed to a wild hair estate sale. Love it. You did not help set this one up. Oh, Okay. (laughs) All right, you don't have an in yet. Okay. Okay. You don't know where stuff is. I'll, in the I'll house. pretend that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are in line. It is over in Old Town, right? Okay. So it's an old house, time capsule house. Okay. Similar to that one that was several years ago where it was just filled with stuff. We are there opening night. We're ready to go. Headphones in, noses down. <laughs> we head straight for the kitchen and it is filled with Pyrex. I hate you. I'm sorry. There are three separate patterns and different types of Pyrex we can choose from, okay? Okay. Do you choose the Butterfly Gold Cinderella Bowl set? Okay. Do you choose the Friendship Pattern Casserole Dish? Not the flat one, but the taller one with the glass lid with the design? Or Black Rooster Sunflower, which is similar to Amish Butter oh, Prince, the same I want rooster. that one. I think I'll, I'll do the, the <laughs> Butter Prince. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So we don't have to fight. I know. <laughs> I was that one was easy. For also going to go for that one, but I'm not going to do that now. Jill's going to cut me later. <laughs> I am going to go with the friendship pattern um, casserole. This the friendship pattern, the original one. The, those colors and that design is like one I of know. my favorites. One of my favorites, and it I have the black pretty. snowflake. So yeah, I don't have any black pieces yet. I'll oh. let that go to you. Yeah. Well, I I own my great grandma's uh, butterfly gold mixing bowls. Oh. So oh. yeah, so anything that's butterfly gold or turquoise, I'm on it. But noted. Yeah. We'll add you to the rotation if we All see right. stuff out in the wild <laughs> since you're local. <laughs> Next up is the bedroom. And it is filled with racks of clothes, of course. More specifically, the ones we're looking at today are coats. Okay. We have to have a good coat where yeah. we live. Do you choose the black velvet evening opera cape with embellished Ooh. rhinestone oh. shoulders or the leopard coat with a real, so faux fur leopard, but a real fur collar, one of the big Oh, yeah. I want ones, that one. <laughs> or a classic camel wool trench. No, I want the leopard. I'll have to go with the cape because I have way too many 
camo colored coats i have <laughs> i have a dedicated wool coat collection like closet downstairs and i recently went to los angeles uh-huh. a few weeks ago i found like lily ann designer coats two dollars and fifty cents what i know i, I, know I couldn't say no coats, so i didn't i just want that to be known <laughs> for the listeners but definitely the cape the did cape. you go to the lemon frog vintage shop in la no it's in silver lake the next oh. time you go it's run by this impossibly small woman who literally <laughs> is like hidden by vintage uh-huh. and she just pops out and she's like i have your piece 75 yeah. pounds soaking wet oh and she's gosh. just like hey how are you and she she had plus size vintage this is uh-huh. why i loved her i found a dress there okay so i i think the cape's a great choice i'm also going to go well i love a camel trench a wool trench classic classic Can't go wrong but also leopard duh and the yeah i can't not grab the leopard yeah. this one's been easy so far I i'm liking this yeah. believe it. i'm gonna go with the cape for the drama okay. it's not something yeah. you come across okay. all the time mm-hmm. i could see you like twirl it around somebody shows look. up to the house for an interview and i just am in a full evening gown <laughs> hello i have to go down the stairs first for effect to walk behind me don't don't move okay last stop it's in the form of original fixtures and housewares okay there was a remodel at the house Luckily, they didn't get rid of it. They just put it in the garage. Do you choose the Atomic Star switch plates and outlet covers, the Starburst tension pull privacy screen, or the original mid-century front door? This is what you get for talking shit, Jill. Sorry, Sam. I'm sorry. I specifically did not put the type of front door because it is whatever your favorite is. Oh, man. I got to go for the light switches. Oh, oh, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. I gotta go for them. I'm gonna I'm, go I'm with the room divider <laughs> specifically for right here <laughs> to separate my reselling shipping area from the rest of the basement. Because my basement is um, hot dog shaped, not hamburger shaped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with the door. Oh, just because we didn't get to get the door we wanted when we built the house. Mm. Then okay, that's a good wow, choice. Wow, we make a great trio. yeah. We made it. We do. Which yeah, that's and we would be a successful estate sale team. <laughs> Fast sweep. We know exactly. Back. Yeah, yeah. Where to go? I let's see. You hit the kitchen. Yep, kitchen. Basement. Basement. I will head to the garage and shed. Mm-hmm. Or the and bedroom. Bedroom. We'll rotate. Yeah, we'll just. I'm super quick. Yeah. I, I am just, too. My husband is gets really annoyed with me every time I go to states. <laughs> He's like, "Where'd you go?" And I was like, "Oh, I was in the back." And then I have like my big pile. I was like, "Here, take this over there and stand He's by like, it." Why do we need this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he talked me out of quite a few things. I'm really mad about now. Melissa yeah. found me a rolling estate sale or like the flea market carts at the oh, branch today. Nice. She's like, "Do you want this?" And I was like, "Duh." <laughs> oh, see, I've been looking for one of those too. And I found my basket. I have because of Linda sales. Okay, Linda always has shopping baskets and bags. Yeah, they're not for sale. No, they're no. not for sale. <laughs> don't take them. D- please don't take them. But you get used to going to a Linda sale and <laughs> having shit to I- carry your shit. <laughs> yeah. So now I keep a IKEA bag, two IKEA bags, a uh, f- collapsible shopping bag. Mm-hmm. And then another like hair bag in my car. So when I go to a sale now with people, I like throwing bags. I do as well. And then I also have a blanket because you never know if you have glass, you have to wrap, you have to wrap Mm -hmm. your stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I'm very serious, I'll make a map 
and I have a list of places that I go. I, you know, last summer I probably went to over 150 sales. Like I would make, I would be very serious. I wake up at seven. I'm on the road. Like we're doing this one, one we should person sail show together. I was going to go to say, another next like, one. You together. know, there's no, you know, I bring my lunch. I'm not stopping anywhere. No, I'll pee in a cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a nurse. I can hold it forever. True story. <laughs> True story. Yeah. There's your vintage tip of the week. Hold your pee. I know. No stopping. <laughs> Start training now. Now. Mm-hmm. You reach nurse level if you can hold it for 15 hours. Oh. Wow. oh that's not similar to hairdresser level. The only break I get at work is to pee. Also teacher level. See? For being yeah. real. See? Bladders of <laughs> steel. We are good to go. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much again. This was absolutely a delight. Thank you for coming to my house. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I can't wait to see what you're up to in the future. We'll see. All right. To hear even more from this week's prophecies, stay tuned for this week's Curio I always forget how absolutely wonderful in-person interviews are until we get to do one. And then I'm like, oh, I love this. I love all of it. But sitting down. There's just something about sitting down with an actual person. Because like over Zoom, you can't pick up like the body language mm-hmm. and like you can't like watch like you're not interrupting as much. I mean, like, oh, 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 yo. yeah, because you can only you only see from like the chest up. You don't see hands and yeah, that body movement. And yeah. And she was dressed adorably. Oh, my God. So cute. I uh, really we got to up our game. I know when she came, I was like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> adorable little vintage dress and handbag everything and was shoes vintage. and i'm like, like her shoes i was like mm. she's adorable when i went to linda's estate sale this weekend bailey was working and she was just adorable also in like a 60s like shorts and cute shirt cute hair god damn it I, <laughs> well i know and then when she was telling us that she pretty much has all vintage clothing for the most part how nice um, would that be? Would be like fantastic. Although some of the vintage clothing is not my jam. Mm-mm. It's too bright. Too bright. <laughs> we need to find just all black 1950s attire yeah, would be I know, ideal. That's what I need. But uh, the fact that she put a walrus sign for her closet. I love is that. Genius. And that she genius. found one that was still in really great shape. Yeah. Like I didn't even, I remember those stores growing up. And so. I now she's just given like I'm thinking what kind of sign do I need above my closet? Mm-hmm. We'll see. But uh, she so she did mention Woolworths and Woolworths. A lot of people, especially uh, people my age, will probably remember going to Woolworths shopping. That's where you went to get your shoes and clothes and everything. Um, so I found this article at classicnewyorkhistory.com. Woolworths stores were founded by a man named Frank Wynn. Field Woolworth. Good Lord. That's wow, that's a name. I know. In the late 1870s, Frank Woolworth was working in a small grocery store as a clerk when he came up with the idea to sell cheap five cent items at the counter. The idea turned out to be very successful. It was so, ex- so successful, it led Frank Woolworth to open up his own store selling five cent items in Unica, New York. The store failed to be successful. If there ever was an example to be used as a lesson to a young entrepreneur, 
and not quitting after their first failed attempt at starting a business, it would be the example of Frank Woolworth's decision to try again after his Unica failure. Four months after his Unica store closed, Frank Woolworth opened up a new store in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This time, he expanded to selling five and ten cent items. With a handful of partners by his side and a sheer will to be successful, the Lancaster store proved to be a winner. Soon, Woolworth and his partners were opening up stores all over Pennsylvania. With success in Pennsylvania, the group quickly expanded to New York. Frank Woolworth's success started slowly, but then rapidly began expanding. In 1912, there were almost 600 stores associated with Frank Woolworth in some sort of fashion. 600 in 1912. That's a lot of franchises. Yeah. Wow. In a remarkable move, Frank Woolworth got all his partners and associated stores to incorporate under the name F.W. Woolworth Company. One year later, in 1913, Frank Woolworth would move his executive offices in New York to a building that he had commissioned to be built a few years earlier. The new building would stand at 233 Broadway in Manhattan. It would become to be known as the Woolworth Building. However, this was no ordinary building. In, by 1930, the Woolworth Building would become the tallest building in the world. Whoa. While it was obviously been eclipsed by modern skyscrapers, the Woolworth Building still lists in the top 100 tallest buildings in the world as of 2020. Holy crap. Yeah. I gotta look it up. Um, the advertising of Woolworth as a five and dine store was an advertisement that was taken quite literally. Woolworth actually had a price limit in their early stores. Unlike the 99 cent stores we frequent today where there are many items sold for more than 99 cents, Woolworth had an actual price limit where nothing was sold for more than either five or 10 cents. Wow. However, in 1932, the store added a 20 cents line of goods. With that line becoming very successful, three years later, the company's corporate offices decided to do away with price limits in the stores altogether. When most people speak of the city of Liverpool, England, they almost always apply the city's name to the discussion about the Beatles. However, the city of Liverpool is also known as the first city to incorporate a lunch counter inside a Woolworth store. Hmm. If you look at the coffee counters in Barnes and Noble stores and even the restaurants that would later open in places like Macy's, the idea started with Woolworths in Liverpool. So really this store basically started everything. Yeah, it was like the original Walmart. Yeah. Wow. Woolworth continued to expand in the 1960s and 70s by opening up specialty stores and shops malls across the United States. They were often opened up under different names. There were also Woolworth Express stores that opened in malls that focused on personal care items. Eventually, competition from the bigger chain stores and changing social dynamics would lead Woolworth to begin closing and selling its stores. The local chain stores were sold to Walmart. Oh. By 1997, Woolworth had closed all its stores Um opened under the Woolworth name. The company also the company would also change its corporate name to Venator. However, the company continued onward special 
specializing in mail order sporting goods and focusing on some of their specialty stores that they had opened in the 1960s and 70s. Hmm. In 2001, the company changed its name one final time. They are now called Foot Locker Inc. Many people never knew that Foot Locker Inc. was a company that Woolworth had started in 1974. What? I wish you would have been looking up at my face because this is what I did. I went. I know. I just saw those like shadow. I know. That's like. <laughs> wow. Like, he literally was like the birth of all these stores. The pioneer of modern day shopping. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it's very rare that we rare read things that it's just like, oh, and then it's just, we hate what? Foot Locker and Walmart and Woolworths. Oh my. <laughs> that, I, you know, I don't want to say it too much. It's just always surprising how much it all ties into everything. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like mm -hmm. looking at it now, it makes sense that this one store would you know, snowball into so many other things. Yeah. But reading it and like, like really understanding is like, what the yeah. hell is going on? Well, and you know, we, we've talked about a lot of things we've spoken about in several different episodes in um, Bailey's show today. But one of the things we've talked about a bit, but we've never dove into is another Woolworths thing in the shiny bright ornaments. Mm-hmm. Which I have always collected shiny bright ornaments. I mean, you can't even. Same. They're just so nostalgic and so like quintessentially Christmas time. And yes. um, one day I will have a little tree in the basement that has all my vintage shiny brights because I don't trust literally anybody in my house with glass ornaments. <laughs> but this was interesting. So you were reading about Woolworths and I was reading about this and I was like, I can't believe how tied these two are. So this article I comes know. from do you remember.com and it's written by Jane Kenny and shiny brights um, were started by Max Eckhart of Germany. He was born in 1890 and he's originally from Oberlin, Germany. He started training in the toy industry and then he would first enter the ornament business with his brother Ernst in 1926. They had their own factory where they were from and they had family as employee and they would create these glass balls by hand. Okay. Um, but Max started to kind of see this foreshadowing of like German glass not being available in the United States because of what was happening in Germany at the time with the war and in Europe. Um, so they immigrated in 1920 to New York and they became a part of the International Toy Center in the late 1920s. He founded the Shiny Bright Company in 1937. He calls it this because of how the ornaments were made with silver nitrate. So that means they would be shiny for good. Mm -hmm. um, to keep the company thriving, he partnered with another favorite of the show, New York's Corning Glass Company. He was promised that Woolworths would place a hefty order so long as Corning could modify its glass ribbon machine to produce ornaments instead of light bulbs. And you can still see one of these ornament machines um, in Michigan at the Ford like History Museum. You can still see really? one of these machines. He, so Woolworths ended up ordering 235,000 ornaments in 1939. They sold anywhere from two to 10 cents a piece. Buckle your britches. It gets crazy. Okay. Oh, God. So it proved to be worth it because as we saw what was happening in 1940 during the blockade from Adolf Hitler and the British blockade, there was no trading happening between Germany 
in the United States. So it was hard to get the glass. It was hard to get that silver nitrate and it was hard to get the toppers for the ornaments. So this, um, Corning was producing 300,000 ornaments per day. I'm sorry, what? Per day and sending them out to artists to decorate. Right? So they began in just those silver colors, but they expanded to red, green, gold, pink, and blue. And then they would start offering different shapes in the late 1940s. By the 50s, Shiny Bright was everywhere. It was popular. They had opened four offices. There was high production demands. And the production rates had reached 1,000 ornaments per minute that were being created. Per minute. So 60,000 ornaments. What is that? An hour? 6,000 ornaments yeah. an hour. Something like that. I can't fast math. And by 1955, a washing machine factory purchased the company. And they would eventually produce 75% of the ornaments globally. So another interesting thing. So this comes from the Manchester Township Historical Society. This is put together by volunteers. And they had some interesting numbers also. So uh, by 1941, they were producing the silver shiny bright, right? Because of the material shortages, there were clear glass balls that were being decorated um, because they couldn't get the lacquer or the silver for decorating the original shiny bright colors. So because of the war... And so they started doing clear balls that were decorated with thin stripes in pastel colors, which didn't require as much metallic oxide. So if you have shiny brights, if you're looking at the ones that have the metal top with the metal, metal hook and they're very shiny and metallic, those were probably produced pre-1941. Where if you have the clear ones with the more pastel colors and they're missing the topper... Because they also could not get the metal to make the topper, so they were made with cardboard. So, you know, have you ever bought shiny brights that are tied with yarn? That's because the topper was missing because of the time it was made. So they had to replace it with yarn for the hooks. Isn't that wild? What the hell? And then they were also, so here's how you can tell um, the packaging um, age. So... First, shiny brights were sold in solid brown cardboard boxes, and then they were enhanced with the cellophane window that featured the words American made. Following the war, shiny bright became the largest ornament company in the world. They started producing ornaments every year uh, in October, year to year, and they had three shifts at their factories. So they were producing ornaments 24 hours a day. Holy shit. I am flabbergasted, flabbergasted. The plant had, so one of their plants that they made in 1964, they were making um, a plant in the Manchester Township and they were going to employ 300 people. The Max Eckhart and Sons Division of Phillips Eckhart was consolidating operations, okay? So they were bringing them from several cities. It was described as the largest manufacturer and importer of Christmas tree ornaments in the United States. The plant having 269,000 square feet, was to be located on a 25-acre plot off of Aberdeen Road. The factory cost $1.6 million with machinery and equipment. That was in 1964. It was equipped with automated silvering, lacquering, and decorating. Although the glass balls were still produced from Corning, the ornate hand-painted were imported from Germany. The balls were packaged in boxes of a dozen each. However, of course, there were lots of combinations. The company employed 280 people in three shifts, and they produced year-round storing inventory for the Christmas season of October through December. 
and early snow in October and November would increase the sales of the ornaments for that year. And then like any other company that was boomed during the 50s, they started to have some production issues. There was a couple different changing hands of the company that caused the um, perfectionism kind of dropped off. So as it was being increased and it was a household name, they started to try to save on labor costs and increased competition from Taiwan. Um, a group of engineers from Mattel was hired to automate the production process and Revlon and Mattel did the advertising and automation efforts, but they did not produce the same desired results and sales started to go down. And then um, shiny bright sold to Polaron in 1974 and was moved to Georgia and the imports resulted in this company going out of business in the eighties. Well, there has been a resurgence of the shiny bright company, Christopher Radko, a holiday designer, bought Shiny Bright in the 90s and started selling replicas or reproductions of the Shiny Bright glass ornaments. But these aren't to be confused with the vintage ornaments in it that you can find when you're out and about. So the way to tell the vintage ones from the replica, it has been noted when looking at an original Shiny Bright ornament, the name Shiny Bright is stamped on the metal cap. The cap outer wall is fluted. Collectors claim that the cardboard cap during World War II is a rare find making it more valuable. The cardboard caps were also later replaced, and it also has been observed that a metal cap and sometimes a plastic cap may be stamped West Germany, which is post-World War II. Import was most likely the association with imports destined for shiny bright. Other imports bearing the name were tinsel from Japan, tinsel from Italy, and Christmas lights from Japan. The original box will usually note the location of origin. Isn't that interesting? Oh. I'm going to have to go look at mine then. Yeah. Because I, uh, I have several boxes of shiny brights. Yeah. it's um, they So they were finding out all this information about shiny brights because they sent out an appeal to former employees to be like, hey, can you tell me what it was like to work for shiny bright? Um, right. And most people, there were stories of, of course, exorbitant amounts of glue and glitter operating the heat machine to cut the stems off the bulbs. The octopus machine for the painted balls, counting and packing, the key punch supervisor, the accounts receivable person, and the flexible schedule for a mother of seven children not being able to work during the summer months. I just, what a wild company. That is like insane. Yeah. And there Which, was, I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I just, you know, I, of course, I mean, this is why you see shiny brights everywhere is because there was, so fucking many that were being made at the time that they were produced. Yeah. Like that's what I was saying. Like you expect that kind of production in today's times, mm -hmm. but for it to going on back then is like, I can't grasp it. Honestly, no. it does make me feel better about the shiny brights that have broken in my possession to know that. Yeah. Because <laughs> to know they're not as right. I don't think I, I'm going to have to dig mine out because I don't know if I have any with a cardboard cap. I think I may have some that don't have a top. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I bought some from an estate sale earlier this summer and they were like tealy blue colored ones. Mm. And I just remember seeing them and some guy was like, are you getting all of those? And I was like, I sure shit am, <laughs> sir. And then I asked them like, how much do you want for these? And I had like, I think I had like six boxes and she's like, uh, $4 for all of them. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. 
Well, that sounds fair. That sounds fair. Wow. Here's your vintage tip of the week. Look for holiday stuff out of season if you're not already. Because before people can think about the holidays and like selling it at a higher price because of that demand, look for it when you thrift, look for it all year long. I always look for any type of holiday stuff that I collect. Always. Mm -hmm. I'm, even if I am going for something specific, I always stop by the holiday section in a thrift store. Mm -hmm. And if I'm finding like singular pieces of vintage or small little holiday things, I grab those too for decorating and filling in little spaces. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, we were at Linda's sale yesterday and she had this box and it it was like a shoe box. So I was like looking to see if it was shoes and no, it was a bunch of those. um, Oh, what are they called? The Christmas tree. I saw those two of the faux Christmas trees, Sissel trees. Yeah. There's a bunch of them in there. And then I bought like a cute little wooden train track thing. That was Christmas. And my husband's like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, I don't know. Decorate. Yeah. It's cute. Can never have too many fake trees. You can't. No, you can't. Mm-mm. But it was the war just shaped so much of modern society. World War Two. Yeah, because you I mean they started out doing one thing, and then the war happened, and then all of a sudden they had to figure something out because the soldiers and the militaries needed, mm-hmm. you know, the items that everybody else had, and one of those things were the rations of food. I mean, a lot of people had to change their whole way of cooking and baking mm-hmm. because a lot of like the flour and sugar and other staples were going to the soldiers. Um, and one of those interesting things that some woman thought on her own self and God bless her for it was a World War II sugar brownies. Mm. So, you know, when you make normal brownies, you have the cocoa and the flour and the butter and all that. So I included three ingredients, one cup of graham crackers, half a package, so about four ounces of chocolate chips, and about 12 ounces of sweetened condensed milk. Mix it all up, bake it for 350 for 30 minutes, sprinkle just a little sugar on it and cut it into stores. Ta-da! I am two things. Intrigued and my palate can't figure it out. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I get the graham crackers as a replacement for the flour. Yes, and did the chocolate know, chips. Did you know graham crackers were first invented as an anti-masturbatory aid? What? Yeah. Let's look it up. Continue. I'll come back with Graham. Only you would come out with that little like tidbit. That's how my brain works. <laughs> it was like Graham crackers but, and then a cereal. Go ahead. I'll come back with my nonsense. Gra- oh, and a cereal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, I have a feeling I'm going to make this just to see what it would taste like. Well, okay. I can't taste, but my family will taste. Are you going to bring it over? I totally probably will because I don't think they'll eat it. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, I guess we're going to talk about anti-masturbation cracker really quick. Sorry. It's just very interesting. <laughs> this comes from medium.com. It's a brief history of the graham cracker, the anti-masturbation cracker. <sighs> oh, God. I'm not going to be able to look at graham crackers I'm... the same way. So before they were used for s'mores, people ate graham crackers to stop masturbation and other sexual urges. The inventor, Sylvester Graham, 
He was a minister from the early 1800s with a strong disdain for lust. I mean, he believed that consuming sugar, alcohol, and meat made people lustful, greedy, and sick. His solution was a vegetarian diet devoid of spices and processed flour. The blander, the better, Graham thought. Graham then made an alternative to the regularly sugared and processed cracker. He combined bran, wheat germ, and unprocessed wheat flour to make his now world-famous graham cracker. They've changed a lot. He'd be so fucking pissed to know that graham crackers have cinnamon sugar now. He would be absolutely, like, <clears throat> he would be livid. Which, I is this the graham crackers they made that shit-ass brownie with? Oh, maybe. So this anti-masturbation diet grew a cult-like following, enough that he could build boarding houses around to practice his beliefs. His followers. Are you serious? His followers were called the Grahamites. <laughs> and they were famous for their odd Graham health practices. This included oh, taking cold showers, sleeping on hard mattresses, and a bland vegetarian diet. Unfortunately, there's no proof that his diet curbed sexual appetite. Despite all of this, he died at the age of 57. And then his followers were like, oh, oh thank God we're done with this. They were just like in it for like, hey, let's just see what it's about. And then he was like, no, you can't leave. You have to stay here forever. Don't go ever. You sign the paper. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Jeez. So in 1898, the National Biscuit <laughs> Company obtained the rights to the graham crackers and started producing them with honey. It took off and versions with cinnamon and chocolate have made their way into market. Now it's used for pies, crust, cakes, and tasty s'mores. What a slap to that guy's face. I know we like. Is this is, where we went wrong as a country? We sweetened graham Keith crackers. Rolling is great. He's like you guys. I was fixing us. Now look, heathens. Screwed it up. Bunch of horn balls you, running around. You lustful sinners. I ever tell you my dad's desert joke? I went for no. the first time to Arizona, and he says to me, "You know, Samantha, everything in the desert is either horny or thorny." <laughs> and I'm just, I just looked at him, and I was like, "Nice, Dad." And he goes, "It's a good joke." Anyways. It's a good dad joke. Oh, that's uh sorry, Bailey, that you ended up with that at the tail of your curio corner. I apologize. The world has to know. It was my fault. It was my fault. I brought up the brownie recipe. You did. To see all of the things we talked about today in Bailey's episode, be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the Mothball Prophecies Original or on our website, themothballprophecies.com. Right now we would like to take this time to thank our absolutely beloved patrons. We would first like to thank Katrina and Erica in Arizona, Emily and Crystal in Nevada, Aaron in Wisconsin, RJ in Florida, Gina in South Carolina, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Javier, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California, Betty, Lisa, Aaron, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Becky, and Ashley in Idaho. And a gigantic thank you to our wonderful team. Gray, you make us sound great every week. And the amount of work you do behind the scenes does not go unnoticed. And spell check for helping us look so good on paper and on our posts that you do. Literally everywhere. Our words are hers, not ours. Yeah, they're, they're 100%. <laughs> As always, we hope you find some good shit. And we hope you remember to look under the tables. Bye. Yeah.